0: I never really know how to follow the Jonah Brothers. I don't know what's appropriate or anything, but um, we're delighted you're here this morning if you're a guest. We are in the third part of a series about the book of Jonah, and it's been kind of a fun adventure, learning some new things about a familiar text, and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, being with us today. Different kind of day, um, as you may or may not be aware of. We are a church here one mile off the uh, university campus. That's a big part of our ministry, and I'm sorry that you guys didn't have anywhere to go, uh, and just maybe suggest, uh, I don't know, Gatlinburg or, uh, you know, just to have a great spring break, um, but it's a, it's a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed this, this series, In, enjoyed some of the things that, uh, that God's kind of opened my eyes to and made, made fresh again for me. Um, Today, we're looking at the third chapter, and one of the things that got my attention, I guess, as I began to read through this, and I had a professor years ago just give me some of the greatest advice. He said, instead of doing what most guys do or, you know, teachers do, is kind of look at the passage real quickly and then jump over into the commentaries and start hammering out everything you want to say. He said, whoa, hold off on that and just read that passage through several times and let it... Let it kind of soak up a little bit and, and kind of see what's there and what becomes significant or special to you. Um, the Word came to Jonah a second time. That's kind of the emphasis. I, I leaned over and told Kathy just a moment ago when, when Bill came up to, to pray before we worshiped with our offering. He, he pretty much preached my message in one sentence. So... Amen. You know, if you want to go, you can. You kind of got it if you were listening to him. Please don't, though. It would kind of hurt my feelings. I see some people starting to gather their things and move toward the door. Um, but that's it. God's compassion is so overwhelming. And, and I love the fact that sometimes he comes to us a second time. And in my mind, I've wondered, what is this thing, you know, the, the word of the Lord Came to, to Jonah. And I wondered how that worked. And I thought about in John chapter 1, where Jesus is presented as the Word of God. And in my imagination, I wondered if after the fish, and by the way, this is a little um, just inappropriate for you know, Sunday morning worship, but when this whale released Jonah, what he actually did is sort of like your kids. It's it was like projectile vomiting. Okay, Ooh, isn't that gross? Now, aren't you glad you came? Um, but that's what he did. He just he just like spit Jonah out up on the beach. And, and I don't know if Jonah was conscious or unconscious, but wouldn't that be weird? I mean, wouldn't that be one of the most amazing stories? And you you're, you're thinking later. I'm going to try to tell people about this, and they're going to say, you know, what happened? And, but he's lying there on the beach. Maybe he's, you know, he's made a sand angel. He's just kind of, it's real fuzzy. And, and he senses in this bright sun, you know, a shadow passes over. And he looks up, and he's trying to focus. And maybe there stands the word of God. And maybe the voice he hears saying, hey, Jonah, we ready to do Nineveh now? <laughs> the word of the Lord came a second time. And maybe, I don't want to project too much into this passage, but maybe there stood King Jesus saying, Here I am, the Word of God. You know, in chapter 1, what had happened was that God told Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh because their sin is ever before me. Their sin is ever before me. And now, fast forward through all these adventures and all the things that have happened to uh, Jonah, And now the word of the Lord comes a second time. Except this time he says, I need you to go to Nineveh because I tell you to. <laughs> I need you to go because we've already been through this. Now here's today's part of the story. Where it begins, uh, the Bible says that he's on, he's, it's a three-day journey across Nineveh. Look at um, chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Then... The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the, with the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. Uh, a visit required three days. It's a three-day journey. And that kind of got me curious. And I was telling a friend this morning that sort of set me off on this tangent uh, about that journey because in my mind, I am kind of compare... Uh, in some ways that there are similarities between our city, Knoxville, and Nineveh. Nineveh is modern-day Mosul, Iraq, and at this time, it was a pretty, as this text says, it was a pretty important place. Took three days to start at one end and walk through the other. Now, Knoxville is 92, as you know, 92.7 square miles. and I've tried to figure out how long would it take you to walk from end to end. I think it would be kind of the same. As all of us know, it takes, if you could walk on water, 346 days to walk all the way around the world. So I think that if you started, um, say, you know, out in Farragut, say at Max Shell's house, and, and you were to walk all the way across you know, until you start getting out in, uh, like, straw planes or whatever, that, I don't know, some of you might could do that in about three days. That would be um, hoofing it pretty good and uh, eating some short meals and and taking quick breaks. Uh, So that's kind of the picture of what was happening here. The Nineveh was a commercial route. Like Knoxville, it was at this crossroads. We've got, you know, I-75, we've got I-40, then you go down a little bit, and there's, what is that, 80? And there's, you know, it's kind of a place where a a lot of traffic would cross. Nineveh had about 120,000 people that lived right in the city. Now, Jonah is from a place called Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's only about 30,000 people. And can you imagine when you know he gets to this place, and it's this huge city. It's very sophisticated. Uh, it's it's a it's a big place. It's uh, built on a on a plain, so there's lots of room to expand. There are no hills there, so that it can just keep going and growing. Uh, And it's a lot like maybe some of us, or maybe some of you. You know, you're from a smaller town, and you come to a bigger place. I thought about our students today. You know, 110 of our guys are in New York City. And this morning, I've been following their tweets. Uh, They're all over the town. They're in Sojourn Church, and they're at... uh you know, the gallery, and and they're uh, just, you know, all these different places, and they're worshiping, but there's 110 people that we've sent uh, into a big city like New York, and some of the people who, have you know, kind of communicated back have said, you know what, I'm from Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Or, you know, therefore, you know, I'm out in Claxton, and oh my goodness, I ain't never been to New York. This place is so big, and it's, you know, it's just so intimidating, and there's all these accents, and there's all these people, and, and things going on, and oh, it's just, it could be overwhelming. And I wonder how Jonah felt when he's walking into Nineveh, and he's, he's already been through all these experiences, and he just wants to get this over with, but he's got to be kind of looking around out of the corner of his eyes going, whoa never been anywhere like this before and it's funny to me that God would send one guy one reluctant guy into this huge city now much of Nineveh has been excavated and they have continued to do archaeological work there and find significant things as recently as 1995 and and even within the past couple of years now, this area, you know, we think of, well, there's 120,000 here, but there's like 600,000 in this bigger place. That's kind of like metropolitan Nineveh. They actually call it the Assyrian Triangle because there are other little cities that are kind of joined together, and it makes up this, this one big place, Greater Nineveh. It was found in about the 7th millennium B.C. You remember a guy named Nimrod in Genesis? You know, and what happened with him and his story, you can go back and read about that. And so there's this huge uh, powerhouse of of a place, of a nation called Assyria. It goes into this kind of a lull and a quieter time, and now they're on the rise again. There's a revival of the power of this place called Nineveh, Nineveh. And we've unearthed quite a bit of this city. It had become not only a political city, it had become not only a, kind of a commercial place, a lot of things were happening there economically, it had become a royal city. It was kind of an important place, kind of a significant place. One of the things that have been found there, and they've unearthed all kinds of engravings and different things, there's this black obelisk uh, that was uncovered just south of Nineveh that shows, for the very first time, the interaction between Israel and Assyria. It's from 842 BC, and it's the first recorded um, engraving, or what do you call that when you, you know, scratch on... um, It's not engraving, is it? Etching? I can't find the verb, but you know what I'm talking about, right? when they they do that and you look, and you've seen it in like Indiana Jones movies and they're trying to read the, the writing. We have found that that goes all the way back to 842 B.C., very first picture of an Israeli. And here was the picture. It's a historical marker. It's King Jehu of Israel on his knees bowing at the feet, actually kissing the feet of the king of Assyria. Now, if you're Jonah and you show up in town and they go, oh yeah, we've got a picture of one of you guys. Here's the first indication of how that relationship's working out. He's in submission. So you can tell what kind of attitude he's going to have. So that precedes Jonah by about a century or more. It shows, here's this Israeli king kissing the feet of the Assyrian king, the uh, III, uh, and, and that's the picture. That's the situation of what's going on here. There's this carving, and if you ever go to England and you go to the British History Museum, you will find out that um, you can see firsthand a lot of the things that have been ex- excavated and brought back there. The city was very sophisticated. They had a zoo. They had... Um, a square, a real nice kind of part of town. They had parks, they had gardens, they would hold chariot races and other kinds of events. I mean, it's very sophisticated, very metropolitan, important kind of a place. Now look at this in verse 4. The Bible says that uh, on the first day Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He walks into the city in a one day's journey. And I'm trying to figure this out, thinking, okay, about how far would that be? And here's what I think. I think it would be like if you landed in Knoxville at the airport and you walked from the airport to Market Square. Or maybe if you start out in, you know, past Bearden in West Knoxville and maybe you walk all the way, or maybe you're in Powell. That might be a good illustration. If you're in Powell and you walk to Calvary this morning instead of driving in that's about how far. And this city just goes on and on and on. He's walking and he's looking around. And he's kind of a, you know, a freaky looking guy to begin with because of everything that he's been through. He gets to where he feels like, oh, okay, this, this feels good. This is the place. He stops. He clears his throat and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Thank you very much. I won't be here all week, that's it. If you didn't get it, too bad, I'm out of here. You know, He's done. Revival starts, revival's over. Uh, for, for As far as Jonah's concerned, okay, check, I did it. Are you happy? I did it. All right, leave me alone. No more fish, storms, boats. I, I'm done. I, I, I mean, he had just come out of the belly of this fish... And I can't imagine what he must have looked like. I mean, he's all bleached out, his eyebrows are gone, you know, he's got fish mucus on him. I mean, he's just, ah, ah, you know, it's just this awful thing. And he must have been a really strange-looking guy. You ever see strange-looking people out in public? Not so much in Knoxville, but if you've ever been to California? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Californians you're so sensitive okay come on lighten up but you've been to places and you think whoa we, we don't have those kind of folks back home you know and, uh, and and it's hard to take your children into an environment where they see people that are they're not used to that are different from themselves and you know they're going to say something, right? No, don't, 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 don't say anything about the guy with the spiky purple hair. They don't No, he's just, he's just a regular, you know. But your kids are going, Mama, Mama. And you're going, no, 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 <laughs> Because you know it's going to come out. Well, that's sort of the way it was the other way around. When Jonah walks into town and people are watching this weird-looking character. And he's just kind of shuffling through. His clothes are all tattered. I can imagine he's still in a little bit of shock. So maybe he's jerky and he's twitchy and he's walking through. And people are texting each other. Who is that guy? I don't know. What happened to him? Some folks are getting out their cell phones and they're taking pictures and they're Facebooking that. What are you doing? I'm watching Freaky Guy other people, you know, he sent out a tweet. Oh, there's a bleached out guy walking through town. you got to come see this, you know, and they're, they're hitting the button. So he gets to a place. It feels right. And he's all trembly, and he's standing, and, and at some point, you know, he just, he comes to a stop. I don't know if by now he's made a cardboard sign, you know, the home, so you can see he's a cardboard sign guy. And he didn't ring a bell. He didn't shout out. He didn't, you know, blow a trumpet. There was no introduction music. There was nobody to stand up and go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming here today. We have for you live right here in Nineveh, Jonah. You know, and thank you, thank you so much. You know, now it wasn't anything like that. He just stood there, and people are walking around. And you know how you act when that guy is there, and you're uncomfortable. Can you imagine this guy? He's got a different accent. He's from a different place. He looks. Totally bizarre. And he's about to say something and people, you know how you do? You know how you do. You go downtown, you see, and you and you kinda you give them a wide berth. You know, you, you do it, you walk way around them, you you don't know, make eye contact, you pretend like you don't even see them. <laughs> so people are walking by and they're acting like I don't even what Jonah, I don't even see a guy. Who smells like fish, seaweed in his hair. I don't even know what you're talking about. But later they're going, did you see that guy? Don't look, don't look, don't look. Jonah's here. This is his moment. And the thing about on his side of things, he's still not happy about his job description. (laughs) This is not what he wanted to do. He's not thrilled about being where he is. And he's thinking, I get this done. I can go home and we'll just put all this behind us. and, And that's it. So he preaches... The, believe it or not, especially for those of you from Calvary and you've been listening to me for a long time, he preaches the worst sermon ever. And the only good thing that you would like about it is it's really short. <laughs> it was it's like a podcast. It was done. you know. It was just so fast, uh, and it's over. Preaches the worst sermons ever. And, and then what do you think happens? I mean, you've had to sit through some of my messages. You've had to sit through other people's messages. And, and you know when they're just excruciatingly bad? And you're just going, it yeah, just grinds. And you're just thinking, somebody shoot me. I've actually seen somebody. When I got going one time, and it just maybe I just, I went, somebody in this section right here, they just, they just cut their wrist. And we had to get people, and I said, no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. But it was just that bad. He's that guy on Market Square, and he's got the cardboard sign, and he's, he's looking crazy, and he's, and he's barely understandable. What are you saying? We, he's mumbling. He's about to say something. And people are walking around, and all of a sudden, there is this incredible experience of Holy Spirit power that fell in that place. How do we respond to that guy? We keep our distance. Here's how they responded. I want you to see in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Yes, they repented... (laughs) He preached this little message, and there's this amazing response to that guy. The Bible says, Nineveh believed God. You see, we have seen over the last few weeks, Jesus is at work. God is at work in Jonah's life. He's been at work through the wind and the storms and at the boat and in his you know, in his heart, I think, a little bit, even in the fish. And there's all these things going on. And now we see it on open display. God is at work through one of the most unlikely people that you would ever think, Jonah. And the Bible says that Nineveh believed God. It wasn't so much about him, you see. I understand this. And this became very clear to me for you know, a while back. It's not about me. You know, there's some days you think, man, I'm just, I'm kind of, I think I'm communicating well. Other days you think, oh no, just keep driving for the border, fill up, and just keep going, keep going, keep going, you know. It's not about that. It's about the presence, the influence, and the moving of the Holy Spirit through those words. And when Jonah spoke that day, God was at work. And everybody, this is maybe one of the biggest miracles of the whole story. Everybody, there's you got a sea captain who just hit town. Here's the local baker, and there's soldiers, and there, there are housewives, and there's school kids, and uh, they're getting out of school, and there's leaders, and there's followers, there's teachers, there's people who are all dressed up, and they're being carried on one of those things like you see in movies. You know, that's like the limo of the day, and they're, and they're, they're doing that. There are other people, they're walking because... That's all they got to do. They don't have a donkey or anything else. They're already wearing sackcloth because it's their everyday clothes. It's what they have. Other people, just just all these there's well known people, there's slaves, they're famous people, they're business people, you got the Starbucks people, you got the Krispy Kreme people, you've got all of this culture, all of these people, suddenly everybody is brought together in unity. At this call to repentance. This one moment in history. This one, nothing like that had ever happened in that town. And it didn't matter how much money you made, how well connected you were, what parties you went to, uh, what circles you ran with, what, what you watched, what you were interested in, your hobbies, your economic standing, your political views. All of that didn't matter anymore. Everyone comes together at this place and in this moment that, friends, that is the power of God. that's one of the things I like that I see God doing at Calvary. We've got folks from all different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, even from other countries who attend our fellowship. We've got older people and younger people, people who dress up, people who don't dress up so much. And I think that's a beautiful picture of one of the things that God wants to do is to blend this city together under the banner of Jesus. Bring us all together. One of the things I want you to see that's happening here that's not real obvious or real clear is this element of Hebrew storytelling that's taking place. You see, the king repents and then he tells everyone, okay, you guys put on sackcloth, and fast, and don't even let your animals eat, and you think, wait a minute, didn't that just happen? Because the verse before that says, the people repented and put on sackcloth. Then the king says, repent and put on sackcloth. Well, what's going on there? This is a way of Hebrew storytelling, when they would tell something, if something really happened fast... And we kind of do this in English but not exactly the same way. If something happened really fast then they would tell the big thing. They would tell the main idea. Oh my goodness, you're not going to believe what happened. Blah, blah. And then they go back and tell the details. That's the way they would tell a story to indicate that everything happened rapidly. That this took place in just a short amount of time. Jonah he mumbles this message out. And then it just it spreads like crazy throughout the city. And that's why it's written like that. To let us know, whoa, you're not going to believe how fast this event happened. Look at verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he's going to proclaim... Uh, he's going to make this decree. This, he's going to issue this, this new thing. Uh, and this was kind of weird. This was a big deal. And for us, it's hard to relate to that. But uh, a king did not get up. I mean, he came in in the morning. There was a big bum bada da kind of a, you know, a big show. There's this parade. The king sits down on this throne. He didn't get up for anybody. And there's this ordinary day, and all of a sudden the king, the king standing up. What's going on? I don't know. He's getting up. He's getting up. He's up. You know, the king stands up, and everybody's freaked out about that. Oh my goodness, what do we do? I don't know. And then, even more unusual, the king starts taking off his robe. Whoa, king! <laughs> what are you doing? I don't, that's not. And he puts on sackcloth. This had never happened before. The king repents. He's changed. He stands up, he removes his robe, and he issues this decree. And the decree, I don't think we have this up for you, but just let me read what it said, okay? It said, Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything, do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on their God. God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. That's significant because remember this culture? We'll come back to that. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. He issues this decree. It's interesting to me that in chapter 1 you've got God using these pagan sailors to accomplish his will. Well, He looks around, that's all that's on the boat, you've got these Phoenicians, you know, and they're sailing, and and so he uses them. And then they get saved, they have their first church worship service right there. And here in chapter 3, we see God using a pagan king who had led his nation in such an evil way for so long uh, to spread the word of God. He uses him uh, to get the word out as fast as, as absolutely possible. And in verse 9, this is so contemporary when he says, who knows? That's a pretty good translation. Well, you think this, will, I don't know, who knows? Give it a try. You've said that. I've said that. Who knows? Let's just give it a try. The king, he gets it. He's, he is there. And In verse 10, there's this repentance and repentance meets God's Compassion. Our repentance will always be greeted by God's compassion. That's what ushers that in, that's what initiates that in, and there's where these two meet. Now, you've got to remember the context. You've got to remember who these folks were. They were a brutal, bloodthirsty nation. As we've gone along, I've shared with you some of their attributes and some of the characteristics and their reputation. One of the things they would do on a battlefield is that they would stack up their dead enemies, the bodies of their enemies, and make walls out of them just to intimidate, just to terrify the other army. You know, they begin to ride up and get closer, and there was a wall there, and as they got close, they'd go, oh no, that wall is made of human bodies. I mean, it was just, they were those kind of people, violent, ruthless killers. They were known for this throughout the ancient world. They never show mercy. If you're attacked by Assyrians and we're going to lose the battle, you better either get out of Dodge or just go ahead because you're going to be killed. That's what they did. And here we have that city, that place, those armies, this king, they repent. And God is compassionate to them. You see, that's exactly what Jonah feared was going to happen. That's what he was afraid of. No! I knew you would do that. That's what I didn't want to happen. And I was so afraid if I preached, they might do that. And I knew you. I know, you got, I know you'd forgive even them. So you can understand why you're so mad about that. The whole city, from the king to the peasants, from the smart scholarship guy to the not-so-smart guy. Everybody gets it. Everybody repents. And they turn to the Lord. And folks, it happens the same way all throughout history. Check this out. In John 6, 44, Jesus said this. John 6, he said, No one can come To me, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus said, No one just comes. The Holy Spirit works in the same way today that He worked then. There's this preaching of the Word, even through one of the worst sermons you would ever hear. They hear the Word of God. And Jesus references this. He even mentions Jonah in another place. He said, nobody comes to me unless God draws them. It's the same pattern all throughout the ages. God is at work to initiate a relationship with you, with me, with entire cities. And he begins it. Yes, he works in our minds, but more importantly, he works in our hearts. And sometimes it may be just one person in this room and we may leave here today, and what the Holy Spirit does is that one person repents. One person changes and walks back out and says, You know what? I'm different. Today was a turning point. I realized this was all about me. And you're changed. Sometimes it's a whole city. Sometimes it's an entire nation. God can change people, and He, and he wants to. Maybe even today. That was his pattern. That's how the word of God is spread, because he uses his spirit to reach hearts. And you see, the very first thing that happens is there's this conviction of sin. I can remember when I began to follow Jesus, one of the first things I realized is, oh my goodness, I'm not as nice a guy as I thought I was. Whoa, my sin is a bigger deal. I'm not so good like I felt like I was. if you go back to the beginning of this chapter in verse 1 it says then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and I love those words because I was a guy I am a guy who needed a second chance I needed the Lord to not give up on me and to come back again I think there are a lot of us in this room Maybe some of us even who we already know Christ. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. You think, I'm kind of following him. And yeah, I kind of veer off, but it's not that big a deal. It's that big a deal. Let me show you the destructive power and the gap that sin can create. Can some of you guys help me out with this? Can you three guys right here, could you just step up here real fast? I promise I won't hurt you or embarrass you like I do some other people sometimes. Okay? Let's just say, um, how can we do this? We'll use the platform. Come on up here and, um, and just kind of stand right here. And let's say that that you are going to follow the Lord. And the Lord, you're going to have to walk around that. But for the sake of, you know, you get this, right? And God's direction says, I want you to go. I want you to straight that way. That's my direction. Now, another Jake says, "Um, you know what? Hey, I don't want to walk with the Lord that close like him. I promised I wouldn't embarrass you, but you're not embarrassed yet, right? You're okay? You're good? Ooh yeah, ooh yeah, Who dad, Who dad. Okay, all right. So this guy says, you know what? I don't want to walk 100% straight, but I don't want to rebel against the Lord, so I think what I'll do is I'm just going to walk just five degrees off of the Lord's will. And you know, that's what some of us do. But then some of us think, now I've got this issue in my life, and I appreciate the fact that he's going to walk 100% following the Lord. He's just like five degrees off. I love the Lord, and I think if I'm 80% faithful, oh my goodness, isn't that a lot? 80%? He so said, if I just walk 80% with the Lord, and I'm just 20 degrees off of his will, that's not such a big deal. Five 20, we're all right in there. We're all really giving most of our hearts to the Lord. Now, as best you guys can, I want you to imagine what it would be like to walk straight on the path, 5% difference, and 20% difference. Just kind of do that for us, and I know you're probably a great geometry student, so this won't be a big problem, but just walk in what you think would be that much difference from dead center. Ready, go. Okay, stop, guys. I want you to see what happens with sin in your life, with sin in our lives. We think, this is where God wants me to be. This is God's perfect plan for my life. This is a place of blessing. I'm just five degrees off that. You see what you're missing? You see this space where sin has entered in, and you're just a little bit off. You see, if you're just a little more off, what can happen in the distance that you create? And you think, why don't I feel close to the Lord? Would well, you have sin in your life? Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's just, I mean, like, maybe 20% of my life is sin. What's the big deal about that? This is the big deal about that. That's how it works. Thank you. Man, you guys did a great job. Give them a hand. You know, I think that that's really this hidden thing, this this consequence about sin. And the deal about Nineveh was, they weren't just 5 degrees off. They weren't 10, 20 degrees off of God's perfect plan. That's where Israel goes, and that's where we go sometimes. They're like 180 degrees. I mean, they're like, no. Whatever God, we're going to do just the opposite. We're the antichrist. We, we just hate that. And God forgives and shows compassion to them. So whatever you've done, wherever you are today spiritually, whatever's going on in your life, and you think, yeah, I'm kind of off from God's will you know, a little bit, but I don't know. If God wants to show you compassion. He wants to bring you back into a perfect place where he can bless you and just do some incredibly amazing things in and through your life. That's what he's trying to show with Jonah. Now, the cool thing about this, and, and we'll, just, we'll kind of wrap up with this, is you know, you're so precious to God. You know, the, the Bible says um, that Nineveh was a great city in verse 2. The NIV, I think, calls it a very important city. Original language in the Hebrew, I think it could be translated very accurately, a city that was important to God. And I like that because it was just such a vile, just such a wicked place. So separated, so much distance between what they were doing and what God wanted them to do. But it was still important to God. And Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever your lifestyle, you know, you think, I think think God's over me. I had a friend who was just in in rehab program after rehab and there had been abuse in his life. And there's all these issues. And he said, you know what, I think God lost interest in me a long time ago. I said, no, no, no. You're still important to God. The worst city in our nation, the worst city in the world, still important to God. Your school, your business, the people around you, your family, still important to God. You're so precious to Him. God cares about this city. God cares about you. Jonah preached eight words. In English. In Assyrian, it's just five words. Just five words. Here's his message. Check this out. This is what Jonah sort of with a southern accent, um, several thousand years into the future it would sound like Adi Arbat Ume Ninua Inabak. Adi Arbat Ume. Nineveh, Nineveh. Would you say that with me? Let's try it. Ade, Arbat, Ume, Nineveh, Nineveh. Amen. Congratulations! Some of you just preached your first sermon, and it was like a missional kind of a sermon. It was in Assyrian. I mean, that's that is so cool. Translated, is forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And it's interesting that that little verb, overturned, overwhelmed, destroyed, is the same verb that the Bible uses to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, which was destroyed. And God said, I will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah unless they change. I will destroy Nineveh. Same word. Five-word sermon that ripples across this entire city changes everything. Who knows? Who knows what God might do in your life? Last night I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, where do we land? What's the, you know, what do I do with this? And I came up with at least five ideas, five applications, five practical ways that I can respond to the truth that I know and I see in Jonah chapter 3. Here's one of those ideas. Take him up on a second chance. Take him up on that. Don't let it pass by. And you may feel this morning, I think God's given me, I think he wants to give me a second chance. Don't don't skip it. Don't overlook it. Don't miss that opportunity. If you ever had a boss or a teacher or somebody in a relationship say, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance, jump at this. God wants to give you a second chance. Don't let it pass by. Another thing is just to believe what He says. You may may or may not believe what I say. I'm just another guy. I I understand that. Believe what God says. Believe what God says. Really believe it. The third thing is just to... The Bible says they repented. Repent. Doesn't that sound like Cardboard Guy? Isn't that what he would have written on his you know, sign? Repent! Repent! It's still a valid message. No matter how it's been changed or, or you know, flavored and stereotyped through the years, there may be something in your life that's pulling you off 20 degrees or just 5 degrees. Repent of that. Repent. Turn away from that. The fourth thing may be something kind of unusual for you that you've never done. You may be at a place in your life where God's calling you to Fast. One of their first reactions, they, they put on sackcloth, which was, it's kind of like a coarse burlap. And they would take off their nice clothes, and they, they'd put this on, and it was very uncomfortable. And this constant reminder, this, this itchy, hot reminder, oh, God's trying to get my attention. And then they would fast. And every time their stomach growled, and every time, you know, they felt that hunger pain, it was a reminder, oh, Lord you know, like an ancient version of a little bit of what Lent does. And some of you observe that, and you think, oh, every time I I don't do this or I do that, it's kind of a reminder of me that I need to pay attention to the Lord. It may be that God wants you to set aside a meal or an entire day, or for some of you, even several days. And I suggest check with your doctor before you do it and make sure it's safe. It's a lot safer for most of us than we think. You know, we're just so used to eating on a routine and skipping one meal, I feel like a martyr. And there's been times if I've had to skip a meal by accident, I want to go back and turn it into a fast. You know, hey Lord, I didn't get to, oh, you know what, I'm just fasting. And God's like, oh no, 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 that's not the way it works. No, it's a very purposeful thing. Some of you may be there. God, you just, you're getting my attention, and I just want to turn to you, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to neglect other things right now. I'm going to fast from television. I'm going to fast from my computer. I'm going to fast from food. And I'm going to spend that time paying attention to you. And some of you need to do this fifth thing. It's just to spread the word. The spread. Just like this instant wave of gospel that went out over the city. And I wonder how much of that was through people. What if, what if, who knows, Who knows if all of us in this room, if we took several hundred people and said we're all going to have one spiritual conversation this week with one person in our life. What if each of us said, you know what, this week I'm going to share my testimony, I'm going to present the gospel, I'm going to say something very specific not in an annoying way, I'm not going to be obnoxious, I'm not going to be judgmental, I'm not going to be condemning and get in somebody's face and go, guess what my pastor told me yesterday, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to spread the word right now, and I picked you because you are the worst sinner in the office. You know, or, no. The whole neighborhood knows you're the one who needs this most. So here it comes. I've loaded both barrels. Now don't do that. But just in a gentle way, buy somebody a cup of coffee and sit down and say, you know, I don't think I've ever told you my story, my spiritual journey, and how it is that I became a follower of Jesus. What if all of us had a spiritual conversation this week, and we spread the word into our city, because we really believe that our city is important to God? Let's pray. I'm gonna